I was talking to one of the kids before the service, and he's like, are you upset that we're giving you a break? And I was like, well, you're not really giving me a break. <laughs> It'll be a little shorter than normal, but he's like, so you're glad that we're giving you a little break? I was like, yeah, that's, that's fair, that's fair. But they did a great job, didn't they? And uh, talking about uh, Christmas, the Christmas stories, and reminding us again of the, of the importance of the Christmas story, right? Christ being born, coming as Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, something that's maybe not so Christmassy in the sense that we're going to the Old Testament. We're going to Second Chronicles chapter 19 and 20, and we're looking at um, joy from the story of Jehoshaphat. And uh, Jehoshaphat was a king of Judea uh, as the the northern kingdom was uh, the, one, the last one surviving, so to speak, after Israel had been uh, exiled from the land. And uh, we're going to look at this story not, not so much because of... Uh, the, it ends, in a sense, with this joy-filled battle, in a sense, because the, the, they're going to they're be facing an enemy they can't conquer, but they just praise God... And God wins the victory. But it, this story is in some ways a contrast to uh, what I would consider things that steal our joy, things that, that keep us from really being joyful. And, and we live in a time where um, we've been isolated from each other a lot. We've had a lot of uncertainty, a lot of challenges, a lot of things that maybe cause us to... to to kind of pull the shell, or maybe another way to put it is to say, we just want to lay in bed, pull the blanket over us, and be nice and warm, and like, okay, <laughs> you know. And, and the problem in, in, that, in that kind of scenario is that self-righteousness flourishes very easily. It's, it's a garden, if you will, uh, where self-righteousness flourishes. And and my hope this morning as we walk, walk through 2 Chronicles 19 and 20 is that you, is you see how self-righteousness steals joy and how to fight self-righteousness in, in the process of pursuing God and seeking joy. And Chronicles is great for that because Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, the main theme is seeking God. It's that pursuit of God, that pursuit of what is going to bring me joy, what is going to bring me peace, what is going to bring me uh, love and happiness and security. And it comes through seeking and pursuing God. And so uh, I hope to contrast that with self-righteousness, which obviously seeks self. It seeks the rightness of self. And so I don't have the time this morning, because they did take part of the time, right, to, to read the, the, all of this, but I'm going to hit the highlights as we go through here. And so, so let's start in 2 Chronicles 19 and, and notice uh, what's happening here. And so we're picking up in the middle of Jehoshaphat's reign, okay? We're picking up in the middle of the reign, and Jehoshaphat started off great. He, he became king. He went out into the, into the, he sent out Levites and priests into Judea, and he, and he t- had those priests specifically uh, burdened or commanded to teach the people the law, to teach the people the Old Testament. So they went out and they taught people um, God's word, and th- th- that was a blessing to the people. The people turned away from their idols. They, they, they sought God, 
But at the same time, Jehoshaphat himself eventually entered, entered into a marriage alliance with, with Israel. It was, it was on, on its decline. It's headed in the wrong duration, direction. Ahab is the king, and, and he enters into a, a marriage alliance there. Well, Ahab, God, God wants to get rid of Ahab because Ahab's so wicked. And so he, he, he sets Ahab up, in a sense, if you read the story, to, to, to be killed in battle fighting uh, Syria, what is basically modern-day Syrians. And uh, Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, come help, help me go against these guys. We're in alliance together. These guys are always thorns in our sides. Let's just go against them and fight them. And even though the prophet of God says, Ahab, you're going to die through this battle, Jehoshaphat still goes into battle with Ahab. And so we pick up the story here at the end where Jehoshaphat has survived, but Ahab did die in the battle. And in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you have destroyed the Ashroth out of the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. So here's... Here's Jehoshaphat. He's come back from this battle. He survived. And the first thing he hears is, God's upset with you. You did the wrong thing. Now, when, when you hear something like that, how do you respond? Self-righteousness tends to respond defensively, right? Like, what do you mean I messed up? I was trying to do good. I was trying to do the right thing. Or it, it tends to respond in depression. Like, oh, I can never get anything right, you know? And what I want you to see is the contrast here by looking at, in a sense, point number one, which is serve God with integrity. Serve God with integrity. How does Jehoshaphat respond? Verse 4 says, Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from, from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, and he brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat appointed certain Levites and priests and heads of families of Israel to give judgment for the Lord and to decide, again, uh, dis- decide disputed cases. They had their seat at Jerusalem, and he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness and with your whole heart, whenever a case comes to you from your brothers who live in their cities concerning bloodshed or law or commandments, statutes or rules, then you shall warn them that they may not incur guilt before the Lord, and wrath may not come upon you and your brothers. Thus you shall do, and you will not incur, this, and you will not incur guilt." And behold, Amariah, the, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord, and Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the governor of the house of Judah, in all matters. Deal courageously, and may the Lord be with the upright, with those who have integrity. It's another way of putting that. And so here what Jehoshaphat does is he goes through the land, and he realizes they know God, but they don't have, in a sense, the accountability of doing it right. There's too much 
corruption in the justice system of the land. And he, so he's like, hey, ju- judges, you need to judge things rightly. You need to not decide cases based on uh, favoritism or this, this person gets a favor and this one doesn't. But we need to judge things before God as, as someone who is not a respecter of persons. Not only that, but then he sets up, in a sense, an appellate system where if you, if you disagreed with the judge's uh, verdict, you could appeal to Jerusalem, basically, and you had appellate judges who could come in and, and decide disputed cases, very similar to when we, 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 this isn't original to the United States, we actually borrowed this idea from, from, the, from the Jews, right, of an appellate system of, of justice where you could appeal your cases. And he tells those justices, the appellate justices, hey, the biggest thing you need to do is just warn people that, hey, you're, this, is, this is something that God is watching, <laughs> This is something that God is concerned about. You shouldn't just be concerned about your own rights, your own, your own rules, your own system, your own desires. And so he's encouraging them to serve God with integrity. Now, you say, well, is that what we're supposed to do to seek joy? We, we have to warn people? Be careful here with your application, okay? Because Jehoshaphat is talking to judges about how judges are supposed to operate. Most of us are not judges, and therefore we don't have that role or that that responsibility. What I want you to see is not the judges and what they were supposed to do. I want you to see what Jehoshaphat did, right? He decided in the midst of making a mistake, in the midst of, of, of hearing that God was upset with him, what did he do? He just said, you know what, I'm going to keep doing what I know God wants me to do. I'm going to serve God with integrity. I'm going to make sure that, that I, I pursue the, the responsibility for the roles I have. Because sometimes what, we, what happens to us is in self-righteousness, we forget there's a, there's a circle of concern and there's a circle of responsibility. Your circle of concern is that sense of, well, I'm concerned about this. I want something to go a certain way. I want certain things to happen. But it's, you're not responsible for that. And if you, if you get too wrapped up in your circle of concern and you don't understand your circle of responsibility, then you take on too much weight upon yourself. But you also tend to, when you're, self, when you're self-righteous, what you tend to do is you tend to go after what you want. Speaker Mike Benson told this story, which I'm sure many parents would uh, echo had happened to them. As his family was finishing dinner, his eight-year-old daughter had six green beans left on her plate. Every parent knows where this is headed. Tonight, Mike was irked at this. He's like, can you eat your green beans? There's six left. Just eat them. And she's like, Dad, I'm full to the top of my stomach. He's like, your stomach won't pop. Just eat it. He's like, no, she's like, yes, I will. It'll pop. I'm sure it'll pop. And she's, he's like, no, risk it. <laughs> it'll be okay. Yeah, right? And, and she's like, Dad, I can't eat another bite. Mike knew that for dessert, they were having her favorite dessert, pumpkin pie squares. So he asked, how would you like a double helping of pumpkin pie squares with two dollops of whipped cream on top? She's like, that sounds great. And she's like, I'm ready for dessert. He's like, how can you 
think that you can have room for a double helping of pumpkin pie squares and not have room for six measly green beans. She stood up on her chair and she pointed to her stomach and she said, this is my vegetable stomach, this is my meat stomach. They're both full. This is my dessert stomach. It's empty. I am ready for dessert. Right? And Pastor Phil Guntner, uh, in, in telling that story, says, what we eat reveals what we hunger for. What we eat reveals what we hunger for. And as we think about self-righteousness, what, what often happens is, is self-righteousness is feeding on our own righteousness. We're feeding on the things that we've done that are right, the things that, the, the, the grievances we have against other people. And we, we feed our souls, if you will, not on God and his goodness and how he's provided for it. We're simply after certain things. And we don't want the things that will really feed our souls. We want desserts. We want to think about how good we are. And if, when, if we feed ourselves on our self-righteousness, if we stop loving people and start viewing people through our self-righteousness, we destroy relationships. Instead, God calls us, like Jehoshaphat, to serve others. Because when we serve others, we find joy, not in their response to us, but in the fact that we're following God and finding his pleasure in what we do. I'm, I'm part of a Facebook group in, uh, for pastors, um, and it's a group where uh, if, you know, if you can't post something publicly and you still want to post something and talk to somebody about it, you can post, Right? And so um, one, one of the pastors last night posted this, this post, and he's like, I'm sitting in a hospital room with a widow who's, who's going through a lot. She's, she's, she's confused right now. She's hurting. And every three minutes, she kind of, kind of turns to me and is like, Pastor, you're here. Um, is, isn't it great? You know, and, and, she, and she's just confused. She's just, and, he, and he just said, he couldn't post it publicly, but he's just like, man, these are the times that are good for my soul. I realize I can't, this is not something that's just going to, you know, like, hey, you know, selfie with, you know, so-and-so here in a hospital room. But these are the times that I just find my soul blessed and encouraged and, and fed. Why? Because he's just doing something for someone else unconditionally that no one's going to notice, no one's going to know about it, but he is finding God's presence with him in the midst of life. And if you want to find joy, don't feed yourself on your own self-righteousness. Feed yourself on the presence of God in your life with you as you move through life. Jehoshaphat could have gotten defensive here. He could have gotten depressed. Instead, he said, you know what? I'm going to go seek God. I'm going to seek good for my people. I'm going to serve them and see what God will do. Let's look at what happens next in chapter 20. It says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them sons of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for a battle, 
Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a feast, a, a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to, to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah, and they came to seek the Lord. I want you to notice here verses, verse 10. They go to God, and they're God, you know, we need your help. Verse 10 says, And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the, hand of, from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Notice, notice they say, God, we don't know what to do. The contrast to self-righteousness is self-righteousness would, would take that and, and make, turn it against God. Like, God, you know, we had a chance to get rid of these guys so they wouldn't be our enemies. God, God if you'd given us that opportunity back then, we wouldn't be having these problems now. God, and we, we, instead of going to God dependent, we go to God self-righteous. Does that make sense? And we go to God not, this is point number two here, worshiping gratefully, but we go to God like pointing back, saying, God, if only. God, if you would have done this. God, if you would have let me do this. God, you know, why didn't you take care of? And instead of worshiping gratefully, we instead focus on what God didn't do. What God didn't accomplish. And we forget that it's better to God, have God with us than it, is for it, than it is for us, God, to have taken care of all of our problems. But here, they don't, they don't fall into that trap. They, 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 they're like, God, we don't know what to do, but you're still our God. And that's God's response to them. Verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of... I'm not going to read all those names... Verse 15, just skip right past that. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed as at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come out by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the, the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korites stood in praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, with a loud voice. 
And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy terror as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judas so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and they devoted them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they turned on each other and helped to destroy one another. What I want you to see, first of all here, is that they go out to battle just worshiping God, right? Like the praise team is leading the army into battle and they're all singing and it records what they're singing. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. If it could be, for instance, Psalm, I think it's 136, right? Where they repeat that phrase over and over again for his steadfast love endures forever, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the point is, is we can worship gratefully, not because God has solved all of our problems, but because we have a God whose steadfast love endures forever. In Revelation, it emphasizes this in a different way. It says, notice the God who was and who is and who is to come. Notice this God who's over time, who is not bounded by time. What, wouldn't you rather have a God who is now the same as he was then and the same as he will be in the future? Want, don't you want that God? And it's better not, not to be self-righteous with God, but to say, God, I, I'd rather have you now than to have all my problems solved. I'd rather have you with me, loving me, having your steadfast love surrounding me than to have all my problems taken care of. But sometimes what self-righteousness does is it wants to feed on our own goodness. Like, God, if you had, you know, don't you know, <laughs> know what I've done for you? Don't you know the way I've taken care of you? Don't, do, you know, I've done what you wanted me to. God, why aren't you taking care of it? And rather than feeding on having God with us, we're feeding on our own goodness. I ran across this, this statement, if you will. It says, if you can start the day without caffeine... If you can get going without pet pills, if you can always be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time, if you can overlook it when those you love take it out on you when through no fault of your own something goes wrong, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can ignore a friend's limited education and never correct him, if you can resist re treating a rich friend better than a poor friend, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without liquor, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, if you can say honestly that deep in your heart you have no prejudice against creed, color, religion, or politics, then, my friend, you are as, almost as good as your dog. Because that's the way our dogs treat us, right? But it's just saying, our own goodness isn't that important. 
definitely doesn't feed our souls. But the God of the universe who was and is and is to come, his steadfast love endures forever. And so we can worship gratefully that in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our sorrows, we have a God who loves us. And so we should worship gratefully. And the last thing I want to point out about fighting self-righteousness, so to speak, is to choose rest. To choose rest. It says here, after the battle, right, that basically was all their enemies killing each other. It says, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. So instead of the, the, the army they were expecting to see, all they see is dead people. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they, blessed, they assembled in the, the valley of Berachah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Berachah, or blessing, to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to the Lord with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against their enemies. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet or had rest, for, for his God gave him rest all around. I thought about naming this point, count your blessings, right? Because counting your blessing is something that we should do. But in, in regards to self-righteousness, when you're, when you're fighting self-righteousness, counting your blessings often feels like this, okay, yeah, I'll do that. I'll count my blessings. And we start counting off our blessings. Aren't I a good blessing? And, and, and when we're self-righteous, we're like, aren't I a good person for counting off my blessings? You know, I'm already doing a great job counting off my blessings. And I, I have so many good blessings. I am such a good person. You know, but it, instead, so I, the way it's phrased here in Second in, in Chronicles, it's saying God gives them rest. You know what? God doesn't give you blessings so that you can count them. He gives you blessings so you can enjoy them. So that you can enjoy them and be reminded of the God who blesses us. If, if we get caught up too much in counting our blessings, we're, we're just getting busy. We just, we just, and this is the, the, in a sense, the curse of self-righteousness is that we're, we're always busy. We're always hurried. We're always thinking about the next thing we have to do. Dallas Willard put it this way, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate Hurry. Hurry is not the source of a disordered schedule, but the sign of a disordered heart. This holiday season, if you're going to experience joy, you're going to have to rest. And enjoy the blessings God has given you. 
you can't get caught up in, man, I got to get so much done. God, 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 look, I, I deserve a little rest. You know what? If you keep saying, I deserve a little rest, you know what you never do? Is take the rest. The real rest that God has planned for you. Now you can take things and pull at things, but your heart really never rests. It's reminded me of Luke chapter 18, right? The parable of two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Man, doesn't he sound busy? Doesn't he sound like he's just all caught up in the things he's not doing and the things he is doing? And instead of choosing rest, he's choosing self-righteousness. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. If you're always trying to justify yourself, you're always playing a losing game. But the joy of knowing that God has justified you, that he takes care of you, that he provides for you, gives you true rest. So this season, you, you can have joy, but you have to let go of self-righteousness because self-righteousness steals joy. It's joy. It promises joy, the promise, the joy of, hey, look what a good person you are, and look how everybody needs to look up to you, and everybody needs to listen to you, and everybody, but that's, that's not a source of joy. The joy of knowing that God loves you, that it'll always be there for you. The joy of knowing that, that, you, that he, he's not going to leave, but he's given you opportunities to serve and to bless other people, regardless of how they respond. The joy of knowing you can rest. You know, God set up a Sabbath system so weekly there was rest. But he also put in, into the Jewish calendar different holidays throughout the year where they were supposed to rest. You know, in, in fact, even every 50 years, they were supposed to take a whole year and not work. <laughs> we get caught up in our productivity, our, our work, our busyness, and we often don't choose rest. Not the rest of isolation, the rest of self-righteousness, but the rest of God is with me. God's grace is there for me. God's mercy is over me. And this season, above all seasons, should be a reminder that we don't need self-righteousness because, frankly, Jesus is the cure for self-righteousness. He is our joy. 
He sought God with integrity on our behalf. He, he went to the cross not choosing for himself, but he served us. He goes to the cross worshiping greatly, gratefully for us, saying, God, all I want is you with me. And ultimately, he fought the battle for us and won the battle so that we could rest. You're going to have a hard time this season experiencing true joy if you're caught up in your own self-righteousness. And there's a lot of triggers to self-righteousness, right? There, it's somebody's accusation, it's, it's your own sense of condemnation, or it's your own sense of, I, I've got to have this, or I've got to do this, or people won't like me. And in some ways I'm preaching to myself, because I can struggle with self-righteousness. I can get caught up in my own goodness and defend myself really, really well you know what? In the process, I miss out on joy. I have my joy stolen because I'm looking to my own self-righteousness. And Jehoshaphat is a great example of someone who seeks God with integrity, worships God gratefully, and chooses rest trust in God and his grace. Will you do that? Will you find joy? Not in your own self-righteousness, but in the righteousness of the one who gave himself for you so that you could live in enjoyment of him and rest in him forever. Choose joy. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this reminder from Jehoshaphat. We get triggered too. People accuse us. Our conscience accuses us. We, we defend ourselves. We get caught up in how we think we're right and how good we are. And in the process, we lose joy. The joy you want to give us. Because you are with us. You never leave us or forsake us. Your mercy and grace pour out on us. Your, your steadfast love surrounds us forever. And we see that perfectly illustrated for us because Jesus Christ came even though we were sinners, even though we were your enemies, you showed us love and came and your son died for us. Lord, your mercy is amazing. Your grace is overwhelming. Help us to rest in that grace. Help us to enjoy the blessings of that grace. Help us to, to, to rest and not hurry, not fight our way through this season, but rest in what you have provided for us. We thank you for the joy that you provide. In your son's name we pray. Amen.